So to put it really simply, letting go of attachment to outcomes, investment in particular things, enables us to see the right thing and to do the right thing for, for all the right reasons. But it doesn't stop there because there's, a, there's actually an even bigger reason that we need to do this, that we need to find, learn how to come to a place of not wanting, not needing, which is that we want ultimately to become available for something larger to move through us, to move within us, to begin to occupy us and live through us. A, a source of wisdom, intelligence, creativity, care or love that is not personal in any way. Welcome to Meditation Changes Everything. We've all heard that meditation is good for us. Studies show that it reduces stress, improves concentration, and makes us more resilient to life's challenges. But what if these benefits are just the tip of the iceberg? What if meditation could actually change everything? According to pioneering meditation teacher, Craig Hamilton, this powerful practice is capable of transforming every aspect of human life. In this podcast, Craig shares key insights and practices from his two decades of teaching meditation to help you unlock the life-changing potential of this ancient practice. In this week's episode, Craig shines a light on what it really means to let go in meditation. He illuminates the often subtle ways in which our preferences and desires can distort our perception, and how the meditative practice of letting go of wanting opens the door to an extraordinary life aligned with our highest values and empowered by the impulse of evolution itself. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show. Here's Craig. The essence of this inquiry has to do with the real on the ground living relationship between the depth that we experience when we let go, when we let go of all investment in and attachment to anything in this world, and then how to live an ev enlightened evolutionary life in this world. how to be fully in the world, fully committed to the world, fully engaged, active, passionately invested in the elevation and upliftment of the world. While at the same time really being not of the world, letting go of the world, on the deepest level being at peace with the world. Now, I, I know that this 
you know, sort of inherent in even the way I'm, the theme is framed, there's, there's this recognition that for our spirituality to really mean something, it has to be lived in the world. That for, that, that discovering mystical depth is not enough. It has to be expressed through our words and actions. It has to come out in our engagement, our interactions with each other. And I know that this is a big part of what draws a lot of us into this work, this integral enlightenment work. It's the sense that our spiritual life shouldn't be and it doesn't need to be separate from the rest of our life. It's not something we go and do on our meditation cushion and then we just carry about our business, but that somehow all of life should be a spiritual practice. All of life should be a spiritual experience. All of life should be a place where we're expressing manifesting, bringing into action our deepest, truest self and the, the deeper dimensions of the sacred that are wanting to be born into this world through us. So many of us, you know, on the path or come to this work have this sense of, I want my life to be a holy spiritual life. I don't want there to be an inner and outer split. But when we, when we come, first come at it, the first place most of us tend to go is to a kind of spiritual life that would be kind of framed like this. So it would be, I meditate and I do inner work on myself to become more centered in a deeper part of myself. And then when I'm engaged in action, I just try really hard to be a good person. And that's what it means to live my spirituality in day-to-day -day life. So we take up a practice, some kind of interior practice, meditation, prayer, chanting, whatever, con contemplative practice, because we know there's some inner work to be done and it has to do with kind of achieving some form of inner peace and contentment and fulfillment. And then we know there's outer work to be done because we know it's supposed to show up in the world and we think, well, and that means being a good person. So I'm going to work harder to be a good person. I'm going to be more conscientious. I'm going to strive more to you know, do the right thing as much as I can. And that ends up being, for the vast majority of people who are tr even trying to live their spirituality, that ends up being, even if they wouldn't quite use those words, that ends up being more or less what they're doing. And it's not a bad, it's not a bad thing, right? It's not, and it's not a bad place to start. Lord knows that having more and more people trying to be more deeply centered and also trying to be their best, trying to be a better person is a really good thing for the world. Would that all of us would do that, we'd be in a lot better shape, right? So it's clearly, you know, a step in the right direction. But as we go further along the path, as we practice for some period of time, we start to sense that our approach to all of this needs to go deeper, maybe a lot deeper, if we're going to really find a way to live our life as a truly liberated expression of spiritual depth, of enlightenment, of that which we've ourselves have even tasted in our deeper moments. That just trying, that just 
doing our practice and trying to be a good person when we're not when we're out of our practice and in our lives is not really necessarily leading to us becoming a profound expression of wisdom, compassion, cosmic love, enlightened perspective, evolutionary commitment, that that's not really the result of just trying to be a good person. Trying to be a good person means we'd be, we're a bit better person. <laughs> but we sense, start to sense as, as our, just our own interior deepens and our own sense of the human predicament deepens that there's something much more that we need to do, tap into, discover, for, to really become a living expression of enlightened wisdom in our actions. And that is that we, we realize we, st- we need to find a way to deeply align ourselves, like to deeply align our being with the very source of wisdom itself, with the very source of creativity, of love. That we need to find a way to align with that on a deep level, to align our motivations with that. If that depth is going to truly come into the world, and and we also pretty quickly realize that it's not enough to just wish that it were so, or to just intend for it to be so. In other words, a lot of us have spent a lot of time with high spiritual ideals and aspirations, and there's a part of us that deeply wants to express those high spiritual ideals and aspirations that really wants to express our truly enlightened nature in the world. But we see that in spite of the fact that we would like that and we want that, and if you ask us what we're most committed to, we would say it's that. In spite of that, we see that in reality, our actions in life tend to be a mixed bag. Sometimes we're wise and compassionate maybe even enlightened in our actions. Other times, we make bad decisions and choices. We react unconsciously, or we show up in a way that's selfish, not really that concerned about the greater good of the whole, or small-mindedly, or in fear. And... As we begin to analyze the problem a bit more carefully, we see that what seems, at least one of the things we see is that what seems to, a big part of what seems to be getting in the way of expressing this more enlightened intention or bringing depth out into the world is that it seems to be a problem of perception, a problem of seeing meaning we realize that we don't often see we often don't see things very clearly and that makes it hard to know what the right thing to do is and and all the harder then to of course to do the right thing so we start to realize that our perceptions are often distorted that we have convinced ourselves to do something that really was not at all a good thing to do but we convinced ourselves to do it we because, why? Because we wanted something. 
So as we start to look more deeply at, well, what really is the source of this distorted perception? We see that what tends to distort our seeing of the truth is wanting. It's craving, wanting, desire, and and its flip side, fear and aversion, you know, not wanting. So as we go along in this, we start to realize, I'm sure all of us have started to realize this, that at the, the, at the bottom of it all, it's a problem of wanting. Because if I want something, I'll distort my perception in order to convince myself it's the right thing to have it. And then I'll act on that. For instance, if I want, this happens in relationships all the time. People get in relationships for all the wrong reasons because they want that feeling of connection and warmth and affirmation that they feel when they're in romantic union with that person. They want that feeling. And they want it so bad that they'll avoid and ignore any information that might suggest it's a bad idea because this person's not a good fit for any number of reasons or, or even they're not very well motivated. Their reasons for wanting to even be with us are suspect. We won't face any of it because we want that feeling we get when we're with them. We want that. Or may, and it might be a kind of wholesome, loving feeling. It might even be like the way they're manipulating us. This is what makes people capable of being manipulated, by the way, very simply, what I just described. They want something. Somebody wants something. You can figure out what it is. You can manipulate them, right? Look at what Madison Avenue is doing every day, right? Nothing against Madison Avenue, right? You're just making a living, but... Look at how easy it is to get people to do what you want if you know what they want. So that's one way in which wanting is a huge problem. There's also a self-image component of this. If I want to see myself in a particular way, I will avoid any information that contradicts that self-image that I'm invested in. So if I am invested in seeing myself as a smart person, I'm a smart person. That's how I get source my sense of power and identity in the world. I'm going to avoid any information that reveals my ignorance. It might reveal places where I'm not so smart, where I don't really know what to do. Now, we all know what happens when there's no room for not knowing, right? We're in peril because we're not going to be able to see things clearly. If I want to see myself as a caring, loving person, I will avoid looking at ways in which I might not always be so caring. I won't be able to see that about myself. So now I'm not going to see myself clearly. I'm not going to see where I need to grow clearly. I'm not going to be able to see even ways in which my behavior is really inappropriate. I won't because I'm invested in seeing that I'm somebody who does the right thing.
And, and just to take it to the most basic level, because it really is all operating on a very primitive basic level. If I want to feel good, I will tend to avoid seeing anything that might make me feel bad. So I'm going to distort perception left, right, and center in order to make sure I always feel okay about myself, okay about life, comfortable, unthreatened, secure, safe. And these are just a few examples of how we distort truth. So we see that in all kinds of ways, wanting obstructs our ability to see and know the truth about ourselves, about others, about situations and circumstances. And when we really start to look more deeply into this, we also see that wanting impedes our ability to do the right thing. It doesn't, it doesn't only distort our perception. It actually impedes us from acting from right motivation. So for instance, let's say there's a risk I need to take. There's, I'm part of an organization that is engaging in a practice that I believe to be dangerous, maybe even detrimental to the people who are, the organization is supposedly trying to serve. So I think, wow, we're really doing something dangerous and wrong, and I've identified it, and I've spotted it. What's going to prevent me from speaking this important truth, taking this important risk to, to make it known that we're doing something potentially dangerous and bad? It's going to prevent me from doing it. Because many people in that situation won't speak up. Why? Because they want something. They want to be liked, approved, popular, or even more in that case, possibly. They're afraid of losing their job, right? Maybe I'll get, maybe they all want, this will not be liked so much that I'll get the boot. So I'm too invested, so I'm not going to take the risk. So even if, even if doing that's going to put many other people at risk, let's say it was a health issue in some way, a public health issue. I worked for a company that was polluting, and it was a public health issue. I wouldn't do it because I want to lose my job. don't want to be unpopular in my community. So people will, because of that wanting, that needing something, wouldn't do the, wouldn't do the right thing. They might see what it is, see, so it might not, it's not only a perception issue. They might see, wow, this really needs to happen, but they won't do it because they want something else. So if I want other people to like me, I won't say important or challenging things that might make me unpopular. If I want to get my way all the time, I won't be interested in taking in other people's perspectives, hearing their needs in situations. So I might often won't make good decisions because I'll be close to all kinds of important information. So, so when and we could all make our own list of how this shows up in our lives. 
So when we look deeply at the human condition, what we see is that wanting is a fundamental impediment to our higher flourishing on many different levels. But we also see that without wanting anything, we wouldn't do anything. And we wouldn't get anything done in life. We would just kind of be kind of like a vegetable. We would just be like a neutral. We'd be just sitting there. So, so simply trying to not want anything when we're in the midst of our daily lives doesn't really seem like a viable option. Because you see, we have to find a way to come to a place where we don't want anything from this world, where we don't need things to be any particular way, where we're not attached, personally attached to outcomes. It's the only way we're going to have a chance of seeing clearly. It's the only way we're going to have a chance of, of aligning with a deeper motivation than just getting what I want. So we have to find a way to do this. And this is where meditation becomes such a critical part of the path. Because meditation is a place where we can practice letting go. We can practice letting go of wanting, letting go of preference, being neutral, allowing things to be as they are not needing things to be any particular way. That's what we're doing when we meditate. We are learning how to come to a place of not wanting or needing anything from this world. So it is a practice of non-attachment of no investment, of going all the way down, as my teacher likes to say, to zero, going to zero, to the freedom from wanting anything from this world at all. So if we want to be free, if we want our lives to become an expression of profound liberation, of deep enlightenment, we have to learn how to do this. We have to learn how to not want, how to really be beyond wanting. But I want to be clear that even though the diagnosis that I'm giving sounds very Buddhist, <laughs> right? Because what did the Buddha say? The, the essence of, the, of all suffering is wanting. Thirst was, I think, the proper translation of it, this thirsting, this craving. But we're not talking about the Buddha's version of enlightenment here. Because the old spirituality essentially taught that we need to let go of wanting because wanting is the source of all suffering. 
So to be liberated from suffering, we let go of all attachment and then we stay there. And in this place of not wanting, of not needing, of no attachment, we find perfect inner peace, utter contentment with the way things are. We've let go of the world. And it's an extraordinary freedom. It's a profound sense of cessation of grasping. It's been called the peace that passes all understanding. It's such a deep place of letting go and relinquishment. Beyond all need. all contraction, all desire. There's just everything as it is in total acceptance of that. And this is the old liberation. It's the old enlightenment. And when we discover it, it feels utterly full. Like there's nothing missing from it. Just boundless freedom in all directions. And it's a freedom for its own sake. Freedom for its own sake. It's not for anything else. It's not because of what it will enable us to do or how it will enable us to be. It's just pure freedom knowing our divine nature. And many people, even though I'm calling it the old enlightenment, many people still argue hard that this is the only true enlightenment, that this is the only real context for our spiritual practice, is to discover that freedom. I have people write to me, other spiritual teachers and authors, telling me that I'm missing I've like I'm missing the boat here because I'm saying this matters for a different reason and they, they're purists you know kind of orthodox kind of orthodox non-dualists or something I guess you know and saying you know no you can't you can't try to operationalize enlightenment you can't say it's for something else it's for its own sake it's 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 just the experience itself is what it is all it needs and all it will ever need and there is no other anything that needs our attention but to me it's as beautiful it is it is the old enlightenment because here we're talking about something else we're talking about letting go of wanting for a very different reason. Not just so that we will no longer suffer. Here, 
we're learning how to relinquish attachment, how to be free from wanting, so that we can begin to see situations in life more clearly. We can begin to see the world in front of us without distortion. And that brings us in touch with what's needed in the moment. And it enables us to begin to live in alignment with a higher set of values than our moment-by-moment preferences might dictate. So we're letting go of attachment and wanting and needing so we can be in a place where we're uninvested in seeing things any particular way. We're uninvested in things going in some particular way. So then we're just simply present, available for what is. And we're also able to choose to be aligned with something higher, with with like, well, what's most important in this situation? I might personally have wanted to do this or that, but I've let that go. So now I'm only interested in what's most important here. I want to know what's the right, what's the best thing to do for the greatest good, even if it means not so much for my personal good. I don't care because I don't need anything from this world because I've let go of wanting. So that means I can really show up, be fully present. So to put it really simply, letting go of attachment to outcomes, investment in particular things, enables us to see the right thing and to do the right thing for, for all the right reasons. But it doesn't stop there because there's, a, there's actually an even bigger reason that we need to do this, that we need to find, learn how to come to a place of not wanting, not needing, which is that we want ultimately to become available for something larger, to move through us, to move within us, to begin to occupy us and live through us. A a source of wisdom, intelligence, creativity, care or love that is not personal in any way. It's transcendent of the personal, just transpersonal. So we want to become available for a larger, infinitely powerful, transpersonal motivation, transpersonal care to begin driving us. So we're, we're learning how to give up personal wanting. We're learning how to let go of really any needing and wanting. Ultimately, so we can awaken to and make room for a larger context for our lives. So that we can begin to serve a greater wanting, a wanting with a capital W, a a deeper cosmic desire which is this impulse of evolution that wants to, it wants a lot. I mean, it's not a non-wanting force. This spiritual force, when we begin to awaken to it, it wants to manifest 
the good, the true, the beautiful. It wants to create heaven on earth. It wants to uplift the human condition. It wants everything to work beautifully, harmoniously. So it's trying to, it has a, a divine agenda to, to li- uplift this whole process toward its, toward its highest potential. And we're only going to be able to get out of the way and let that wanting, that greater wanting, start to take us over, start to burn in our hearts. If we can learn to not want anything. So ultimately, we're not just going from our little self-wanting to the relinquishment of wanting and, and just peace and contentment and not wanting. We're going from that little self-wanting to the liberation of wanting needing nothing and then on to becoming really a, a servant of, or a vessel for this greater wanting, this greater need, this greater agenda. So we're letting go of the personal agenda, not to, not to just be somebody with no agenda, but to make room for the divine agenda to start to you know, be our pulse, be the driver get in the driver's seat of our life. So this is the point of all of our spiritual work. It's the point of our attaining spiritual freedom, our enlightenment. Not so that we can be inwardly peaceful, not so we can be content and happy, although that's a nice byproduct that does come along with all this for sure. But it's, it's so that we can be available to participate in this immense journey, in this great work of conscious evolution, of waking up the cosmos to to who and what it is. To evolving human relationship into an expression of love with a capital L. So spirituality is no longer about leaving the world. It's about letting go of the world inwardly so we can become a spiritual revolutionary in the world, bringing forth the revolution of the human spirit or an evolutionary, (laughs) to use our term. So I know that this whole topic of inviting us, challenging us to go to a place of not wanting or needing anything, I know it's a very big deal for all of us human beings who have lived our entire lives pursuing various wants, needs, and desires who even if we've been a very generous person or a very caring person, 
have often been doing so because of some deeper want that we had. We wanted to be, we wanted to be loved back. We wanted to be seen as valuable. We wanted to be liked. We wanted to be seen as caring. We had a self-image need, whatever. That even the most generous among us have generally been being generous from a place of wanting. The most caring among us have generally been caring from a place of wanting something from it. So to come to a place where we're willing to seriously consider giving up wanting is no small thing. So just take a moment right now to just feel where you're at with this specific part of the work. Because I do not want to skip over it too quickly. Do not want to bounce past it. I just want to invite you to engage with me around this a little bit. So when you consider letting go of wanting in all the ways I'm describing, what can you sense about the freedom that comes with that? And what what have you tasted of that freedom already? What can you sense about the freedom that comes with letting go of wanting? And where have you tasted that in your own experience? Why is it such a beautiful, extraordinary, and liberating thing? I want to invite you now even as you continue to stand in the purity of not wanting, of not needing anything, I want to invite you to to activate and step into the part of yourself that really cares about what happens here between us human beings, that really cares about love in the world, it really cares about the truth being expressed. It cares about the right things being done for the right reasons. It wants to stop injustice in the world and create harmony and higher orders of unity. It wants to open the floodgates of human creativity and divine creativity to transform and evolve the world into something else. Into, into an unimaginable expression of its higher potential. It's the part of you that is creative, is playful, is engaged in the world process, not from a small egoic place of wanting, but from a, a larger place of participation and contribution 
allow yourself to just be fully the evolutionary impulse in yourself and to know that that impulse in you is the same impulse that gave birth to the whole cosmos that's been unfolding itself in this miraculous display of creativity and beauty for billions of years and is now alive in you right now listening to my voice. There's a sense of brightness to it, an engaged quality of interest, curiosity, playfulness, experimentation, risk-taking, playing the edge. Still allow yourself to fully embody this aspect of your own nature. Notice how it feels in your body. Whether it's a quality of care that you feel in your heart. Quality of spaciousness and sort of emerging wisdom. Whatever's there right now, just to get you related to your experience of being the evolutionary impulse. So this evolutionary self, this evolutionary impulse, has a lot of wanting in it. There are things it cares about. There are things it wants to do. There are things it wants to see happen. And when you are that, that there are things you want. I wonder if standing in this evolutionary self, if you can see why it's so important to let go of wanting to go beyond needing anything from this world personally. What can you see about the value of that kind of cessation, that kind of letting go from this place? As the evolutionary impulse, how are you served by each individual being willing to go to zero, to have no preference?
just allow these two different movements to come together in your own experience right now. See if you can let go of any personal wanting, needing things to be any particular way for yourself. And at the same time, standing fully and passionately in this deeper care for the whole, in this desire to co-create and participate, to be fully here, engaged in every moment, not missing a minute of it. Resting in that divine neutrality. All of its spaciousness and freedom. And at the same time vibrating with the energy of the cosmos. Being filled with interest. love, passion, great concern for the greater good. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll share our show with others. And please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you have a minute to write a short review on your podcast app, we would deeply appreciate your support. You can stay connected to the show by subscribing to our newsletter at meditationchangeseverything.com. Each week, we'll send you new audios and videos from Craig, and we'll also let you know when we release new episodes of the show. If the approach to meditation we've been exploring today inspires you, you are invited to tune into a 90-minute online workshop Craig will be hosting called Meditation 2.0, The Miracle of Direct Awakening. In the workshop, he'll share a powerful new approach to meditation practice and guide you in a series of brief meditation experiments so you can experience it for yourself. You can listen to that at freemeditationworkshop.com. That's freemeditationworkshop.com. Check out our show notes for links to all the ways you can stay in touch with Craig's work. Meditation Changes Everything is created by Craig Hamilton, Susan Fries, Mason Ewald, Stephanie Murphy, Will Bowman, and Richard Klein. From all of us, thank you for tuning in.